following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning. So glad uh, we can all meet in person. Amen. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here because I don't have to preach to an empty room. It's great. Um, We'll be looking this morning in Matthew chapter 25, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 26, uh, if you want to turn there. Uh, it's good to know who the morning people are. I'm impressed you all got up bright and early. It's awesome. This is way too early for me. Uh, my brain does, just a warning, my brain doesn't usually turn on until about after 10 o'clock, so I, I don't claim responsibility for anything I say this morning, right? Matthew 26, we'll be looking, uh, starting in verse 31. Matthew 26:31. Jesus in Gethsemane. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, I don't know if you keep up with news or specifically news of Christian people and Christian leaders, but lately there's just been a lot of news of um, Christian leaders and pastors who have uh, fallen into sin or have left the ministry and turned away from following Christ altogether, uh, or have just met ruin in their lives, um, falling into sin. And, uh, you know, uh, the news media loves to, loves to report on that kind of thing, right? Uh, people in the news love to, to highlight when Christians fail. And there's reasons why there's not more news about, you know, Pastor Johnson faithfully served God and walked a holy and godly life his whole life, because... To the world's eyes, that's boring, right? Uh, uh, but boring or not, it is how we as, as followers of Christ shine with the light of Christ in this dark world. And it may be boring, but it is God-honoring. It's how we glorify God through a life of holiness, not by constantly falling into sin, but by overcoming sin. Um, but what's interesting in this passage, Jesus uh, predicts a certain failure of the disciples, Right, he's already just announced that Judas is going to uh, betray him. 
Uh, then he says here in this passage that all of them are going to uh, abandon and desert him. And finally, he says that most of all, Peter is actually going to deny that he even knows him. And, and some people take passages like this and they, they say that, well, you know, that's just the way the Christian life is. You are bound to determine you are destined to sin. And you're going to fail. You're, you're not going to be able to uh, really walk out the Christian life every day. You're going to sin. You're going to fall. And it's just part of it. Like, so there's grace and there's forgiveness. And so don't set the bar too high for yourself. But is that really true? Is failure, is, is moral and spiritual failure certain for us? Like, do we have to walk into sin and failure all the time? Are we destined, like the disciples seem to be, to just sin often? Uh, is there nothing we can do about it? Uh, is there nothing we can do to overcome the temptations that, that plague us every day? Well, I think Jesus would say, no, uh, certainly the disciples uh, failed, but it wasn't because they had to, right? Uh, there, there was another way for them, uh, and there is another way for us. And, and in fact, I would say that, not only Jesus, but the rest of the New Testament would say that there's this expectation that we as followers of Christ overcome sin and walk faithfully with him. Walk lives of holiness and godliness. And not that we never sin, but uh, it should be the rare, rare moment in our life. And we should be seeing daily victory or success. Um, so let's look and see uh, what, what Jesus has to teach us here about living a, a holy life where we overcome sin. Um, the passage does start off with this really bad news. Uh, and they've just celebrated the Lord's Supper. They've celebrated Passover. And actually, the way it worked back in that day is the Passover celebration would actually continue on until midnight. And when the meal was over, they would continue to discuss and remember and talk about uh, the Exodus and Scripture and what it meant for them to be uh, saved by God. And so it was very common for you to go out to a place where you could you could talk and talk through these things. And so they uh, sing a hymn, it says, and they went to the Mount of Olives. And this first scene really takes place probably as they're going, walking to the Mount of Olives. And then the second part, it says they arrive at Gethsemane, and Jesus prays. So on the way there, Jesus says to them, You will all fall away because of me this very night. Right, so Jesus knows what's coming. He knows he's about to be handed over to the leaders of the, of the Jews to be crucified. And he says, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He says, You will all stumble. You will all fall. And the word here that's used for fall away is the word, we get the word scandalized from. And in Matthew, it's not, it's not just a minor little slip up. This is like kind of the, the biggest sin you can commit next to losing your salvation. In fact, the word is, is used for people who who fall away so badly that they never actually recover their faith, right? That they, uh, they, they, they fall into complete, utter moral failure, right? And so this word is a serious word. It says they fall away. It doesn't mean just a little thing. It means this is a very serious sin. And it wasn't just that they got scared and they ran away uh, to, to protect themselves. The picture here is that for, for these disciples, their running away is turning their back on Jesus, Remember, these, these guys had committed to be followers of Christ, and Jesus had told them there would be persecution and there will be hard times. And the expectation was that when persecution came, when it got hard, that they would remain faithful to follow him. And so what he's talking about is, uh, is, is turning their back on Jesus, right? No longer following him, but deserting and abandoning him. 
And of course, we know this comes at a time uh, when Jesus probably needed them most, right? As he's about to go to the cross, he is abandoned and deserted by all of his friends, all of his close followers. Um, but of course, uh, Peter and, and the disciple and, and the other 12 just can't fathom that this is possible, right? And so Peter says to Jesus, uh, though they all fall away, you know, I'm not like them, though they all fall away, I will never fall away. He's so confident. And Jesus says to him, of course, Peter always sets him up, high, highest, you know, gets, he gets an award for the boldest guy, but he also gets a reward for the, the farthest crash, the farthest fall, right? Because I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, not only will you fall away, but you will deny me three times that you even knew me. And Peter said to him, look, if I, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. I will not deny you. Peter is so confident. And all the rest of the disciples said the same. Look, we're ready to die for you. Uh, so, so some interesting observations here about um, the disciples that are relevant for us. First, they, they clearly know what they're supposed to do. Like, this is not a surprise to them that even in the face of trials and persecution, they're supposed to be following Jesus. Now, this is kind of, uh, to give Peter some credit, this is actually an upgrade for him. Because if you remember back a few chapters, last time when Jesus said he was going to the cross, Peter said, no, that's impossible, right? So Peter's now growing, right? He's, he's realizing there will be persecution. It may not go the way he thinks. And he's ready for it, right? He is ready to, 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 to die with Jesus. So he knows what to do, and he's committed to it. Like you see in Peter here this amazing commitment. And, uh, and certainly as followers of Christ, we need to be committed to Jesus. And, and Peter has all-out commitment. He is all in, 100%. He is willing uh, he is willing to die for Jesus. That's, that's some serious commitment. Like, he's not waffling here. He uh, is ready to die for Christ. And I believe that Peter and the, and the disciples were absolutely genuine and sincere in their feelings. Like, they weren't just making, playing games here. They were counting the cost. They were considering what was coming. Uh, Jesus' uh, whole atmosphere and mood and tone is very sober, and he's been telling them that the cross is coming, and so they, they know that something serious is coming. And I think they're very genuine in their desire to, to die for Christ and to suffer for him and to follow him no matter what. Um, and you could, even, you could even say that they are zealous for the cause of Christ, a, a very positive and good kind of zeal, that they are in 100%. Um, but, but they're certainly confused about the re, still about the reality of what's going to happen. And I think for Peter, he, he makes these bold claims, and he is ready to suffer and die for Jesus in combat. <laughs> like he is ready to draw his sword and go to battle with Jesus, fighting to the bitter end. Right? And there's something very heroic about that. And even in Jewish history, the, the Maccabean Revolt showed people who were bold martyrs for, uh, for God as they took up their swords and they charged into battle and they died. And so uh, that's not unique, right? And, and, and Peter's like, yeah, Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. But I think what he's picturing is, you know, carrying my sword, going into battle, dying, you know, if that's what is required. But he's not ready to, to, to suffer as a result of surrender and defeat. 
right? of laying down the sword and handing your life over to your enemies with no fight. Right? That's not probably what Peter is picturing. Uh, and uh, and the, the lesson here, the first lesson, which is super important for us, like if you don't get anything else out of this, this is, this is the, the big main point. And it is simply this. Zeal is not enough. Commitment and determination to follow Christ is not enough. Right? Jesus says, you're going to fail. And you, all of your zeal, all of your commitment, all your dedication, all your willingness to die for me, uh, that's great stuff. But it is not enough by itself. Um, we, we, we live in a world where modern psychology and actually the, the humanistic worldview that most of the world buys into tells us that, that what we need to be successful in life is we need self-confidence, right? That the secret to being successful is believing in yourself. Like if you just have enough confidence and you believe in yourself, you'll try things that, that other people won't and you will push through and you will persevere and you will succeed, and, and there is some truth to that. Self-confident people, people have, who aren't governed by fear, will try things, and they oftentimes will be successful in ways that uh, fearful people will not. Um, and, and that can be true in things of the world, getting good grades or doing well in sports or succeeding in a business, right? That kind of self-confident determination can be helpful. Uh, but spiritually and morally, it's disastrous, Right? It is a disaster to believe that, uh, that if we just have enough confidence, if we're just uh, convinced enough of our own ability, that we can pull this off and we can do it. And Jesus says, no, absolutely not. It is not enough. Right? You might be, that might make you a good fisherman, uh, but it does not make you a good follower of Christ. It is not enough. Um, and Jesus is not saying here that Christians should walk around in this hopeless, defeated attitude where we give up and say, I'm no good and I'm worthless and it's hopeless because I'm just going to fail. Right? And, 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 and we just live that way. That's not what he's saying either. Uh, but he, uh, and, and we'll get in a minute to what he is saying. Right? But at the core of it, what he's saying is this. In the battle against sin and against selfishness and against fear and even against our own human flesh, Confidence and commitment and even zeal are not enough. We cannot overcome sin and temptation by our determination to just try harder. And the disciples had not yet learned that. Now we may think, well, that might have been true for the disciples, but we're not deserting Jesus, right? I mean, none of us are like out there abandoning Jesus and walking away from him. That's not really a temptation for us, is it? Like, we're, we're committed to following him. Sure, we may stumble and fall here and there, but we're not turning our back on Jesus like they did. But actually, that's not true, right? And, and here's the thing. Anytime that we choose sin over Jesus, right, we're, we're following Jesus, we're going with him, and to choose sin, we have to do what? Well, you can't choose sin while you're following Jesus, right? Choosing sin means turning our back to Jesus, and, and walking away from him towards sin. Right? We may not do it in the same form, not quite as blatant as they did, but it's exactly what sin is. Right? When we choose sin over Christ, we are exactly doing that. We are following away. We are, we are 
uh, no longer following him when we fall into sin. We are taking things into our own hands. And sin is a choice to say that God is not enough. His promises are not true and he can't take care of me. He can't provide what I really need to be happy. And so we turn to sin to make us happy and fulfilled instead of finding that in Christ. And it is a turning on our back, no less than what the disciples did in the garden uh, to Jesus. So, So here's the first step. First thing, if we're to overcome sin, the first step is this. We must acknowledge our absolute weakness. It is not to become more confident, be more determined, more committed. And those things are good. We should be committed to Christ. We should be determined to follow him. But the first step in overcoming sin and in truly following Jesus is to admit to ourselves, I can't do this. No matter how determined I am, I am weak in my flesh. And I cannot succeed in my own strength and in my own power. That's the absolute starting point for all of us. Uh, I am going to, and I think it's great to do it this way. Like, like Jesus says, in just a few hours, well, actually for them, just in a few moments, you're going to fall away. I think it's a great, a great way to start your day. Every morning you get up and say, you know, I am about five minutes away from turning away from Jesus and failing, right? Unless I get some help. Right? And just imagine if we always live that way. Like I'm about five minutes away from blowing it big time unless I get some help. That's a great place to start. But that's not where the disciples were. So where does our help come from? Uh, We need help, but where does our help come from? Uh, Well, verse 31, again, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And uh, on, on, on one level, this is a great picture of uh, God actually striking Jesus. And it's a quote from uh, Ezekiel chapter 7. Uh, and, and it's this image. And it, it, that whole section of Ezekiel is a lot about uh, the, the Messiah, the suffering servant. But it's just this remarkable picture of, of Jesus as the, as the shepherd and God himself striking him. Right? The work of the cross is ultimately the work of the Father uh, giving up, sacrificing his own son on our behalf. Right? And so we get this amazing picture here of God's work of redemption uh, through, through his own sacrifice, through his own striking of, of the shepherd, um, of Jesus also laying down his life for the sheep. Um, but, but the expression is also a, a very common, in their day, a very common expression to talk about the void that takes place when when a leader's gone. For us, the, the equivalent would be uh, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? Same thing, right? It's this idiom that we use often to say when there's no leaders around, things kind of get chaotic, right? There's chaos, there's scattering. Without good leadership, people will just go off and do their own thing, right? They will scatter, they will wander off, right? And the point uh, that Jesus is making is not only the way he would die as the Father struck him, but that we need a shepherd. He said, you guys are going to fall away because you are going to be for a season shepherdless. As I am taken away and uh, nailed to the cross and and actually killed, 
and I will be absent from you for three days. Well, he doesn't say three days, but we know it was for three days, right? Um, and it's a great reminder for us that, that without a shepherd, we're in trouble. Of course, Jesus rose from the dead, and he came back, and as we'll see, he promised to, to be with the, the disciples. Um, and and uh, the second major and important principle here is that uh, the help we need is in Jesus, right? The help that we desperately need is in following and drawing close to Jesus, our great shepherd, who wants to lead us in the path of righteousness, right? We cannot do this ever without him. And um, so, so Paul talks about, first of all, the power of the cross to overcome sin. Like one reason we need Jesus is that the cross itself broke the power of sin in our life. Romans 6, 5, and 7 puts it this way. For we have been united with him, that is with Jesus, in, in a death like his. Uh, if we have been united with him in a death like, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has died has been set free from sin. Um, I'm sorry, for one who has died. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Um, So here's this great picture of the work of the cross was to break the power of sin. So we need Jesus, first of all, because it is through the cross that sin loses its power, its effectiveness in our life. But second, uh, we just need the shepherd, right? Uh, we, We cannot make it in life, no matter how confident we are, without being like on the heels, stuck to the shepherd who will lead us. And so Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. That doesn't mean you can't do things. But what he means is you can't do anything of moral worth or significance. You can't do anything of eternal value. You can't do anything that matters. You can't overcome sin. You can't live a holy, pure, godly life apart from Jesus. So second important principle is that even though our commitment or zeal are not enough by themselves, um, what, what we need to focus that commitment and zeal on is not just trying harder, but to be zealous about walking with Christ. Like if Peter would have said, look, I need to be more zealous, more committed, more serious about just being with the shepherd, right? Uh, Things would have gone much differently for him. And certainly it will go much differently for us. Uh, The thing is, with Christ we can't sin, right? If you're holding Jesus' hand, if you are following him, if you are drawing near to him, if you are in communion and fellowship with him, you cannot sin. Like I said, the only way you can sin is to let go of Jesus' hand and turn away from him and step into sin, right? And this turning is a gradual process, right? Sometimes it happens instantly. Like for the disciples, it caught them off guard, maybe. And maybe it was a sudden just running away from Jesus. And certainly that can happen to us. But I think for more of us, it's much more of a gradual turning, right? Uh, We... We take small steps of turning away from Jesus. We get busy, and we get distracted by 
all the stuff in this world, by our phone, by work, by relationship struggles, or by difficulties, or by our circumstances. And pretty soon we're caught up with our, our work and our life and our busyness, and we start forgetting to connect with Jesus. We start forgetting that he's there. And pretty soon we don't have time, we're too busy, and we're not in the Word, and we're not in prayer. Right? And we start slipping, we start turning ever so gradually away from Jesus. And our circumstances all of a sudden get hard and we are tested by things that cause us to be fearful or worry or stressed. We have struggles. And in those things come temptations. Temptations to trust in ourselves. Temptation to trust in the quick uh, solutions that are not rooted in Christ. Uh, the temptation to take matters into our own hands. Right? Uh, and we don't realize that that, sure, we sin, but it's because we've already drifted far from Jesus. Right? The sin is just proof of how far we've fallen already. Um, so, so, so it's vitally important that we are continually walking with Jesus, right? continually in fellowship with him, continually seeking him, continually striving and committed to be drawing near to him, submitting our will to his, uh, and in faith, trusting that he will lead us in the right path and that his path is the best, that his path leads to joy and goodness, right? Because he's a good and loving God who will not let us down. All right, so first thing, be constantly reminding yourself, I can't do this. Secondly, reminding ourselves and turning to Jesus who gives us the strength to, to, to follow to, to, to succeed, to overcome. Third thing, run to grace, right? Uh, verse 32, but after I am raised up, so Jesus talked about being stricken, right? About going to the cross, dying, being taken away from them. But verse 32, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now this passage, this verse always threw me off because um, you read all the other gospels and uh, when Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection, where does he appear to them? Well, in Jerusalem, right? And so I always got kind of hung up on this verse about, well, like, was Matthew confused? Or what's this about Galilee? Uh, what about Jerusalem? What about all the times Jesus appeared? Well, that's really not what the point Jesus is making here, right? Uh, sure, he is going to see them right after the resurrection in Jerusalem. But Galilee was their home, right? Galilee is where they lived. It's where they did everyday life. And they were on a, you know, a vacation trip, essentially, to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. But real life happened in Galilee. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead of you when you go home, and I'm going to be there waiting for you. And it's this amazing picture that Jesus will meet them again on the other side of their failure. Right? They're going to fail. But Jesus is saying, you, you, and they are going to fail by abandoning Jesus. But Jesus is saying to them, look, you may abandon me, but I will never abandon you. And when you go through this failure, I'm going to be waiting for you on the other side to welcome you and to forgive you and to restore you. Right? Isn't that amazing? He says, I'm going to beat you home. I'm going to get there before you do. And when you show up back home defeated and sad and confused because you knew you sinned and you failed, 
I am going to be there. And I'm going to welcome you in. And I am going to restore you to the way things were before when you were my true followers. And when you were doing ministry and when you were healing people and when you were proclaiming the kingdom, we're going to get back to it. Right? Because I am going to meet you on the other side of your failure. And, and we need that, right? And the truth is, uh, we, God doesn't call us to fail all the time. But it does happen. We do fall into sin. Uh, and when we do, we need to be quick to run back to grace, right? To know that Jesus is always waiting on the other side of our failure to restore and forgive and to connect us back with him and to get back to it, right? To restore us to the life he has for us as his disciples and his followers, right? Praise God that for Peter and, and the other disciples, their failure was not the end, and maybe Peter felt like it was. Maybe Peter felt like he had so blown it that, that it was over for him. But hopefully he remembered these words. No, Peter, I'm going to be waiting for you when you go home. <laughs> right? You're not going to get away from me. I'm going to be waiting for you. Uh, when you go out on that fishing boat, I'm going to be standing on the shore watching you, waiting for you to come back to me and to receive grace, right? That's why, and Jesus didn't say it here, but the point is that's why I'm going to the cross so that your sins are taken away. Right? So, so God, Jesus is a faithful and gracious shepherd who goes ahead of us to the other side of failure and he gives us a second chance. One of my favorite stories of second chances is about a football player uh, who lived a long time ago. I think it's probably about 90 years ago now, 80 years ago. Uh, but he played in the Rose Bowl. His name was Roy Riggles. And he got the nickname Wrong, Wrong Way Roy, or Wrong Way Riggles, because in the Rose Bowl, one of this, like, it's a college football game if you don't follow football, uh, and everybody's watching it. It's, it's the biggest game of your career in college. Like, it's a, a super big deal. And in the game, he was the center, and somehow the, the ball got fumbled, and he picked it up, but he got turned around and disoriented. And he picked it up and he sprinted off 65 yards in the wrong direction and scored a touchdown for the opposing team in front of tens of thousands of people on the biggest game of his life. And he was so humiliated, right? so humiliated and so embarrassed that he, and that, that's like, like that's a mistake that grade school, you know, elementary play, that's not a mistake that a college athlete should make, right? He went off to the sideline, and he was done. He took off his helmet and sat on the bench, and he was done. Like he failed and embarrassed himself, right? Stupid mistake. But his coach said, hey, Riggles, get back out there. He goes, coach, I can't. He goes, no, get back out there. Right? You're not done. Right? You're not done. And his coach gave him a second chance. And that's how Jesus is, right? We, we fail. We feel like we've blown it. And Jesus says, no, get back out there. There's... I have work, and I will go with you. And he's the God not just of second chances, but of 10,000 second chances, right? So pursue grace. Run to grace. Uh, fourth thing, last thing. Uh, and uh, the scene shifts, and we're going to actually look at, uh, when they are in Gethsemane, the, the prayer, we're going to look at that next week, because this week we're looking at how the disciples fail. Next Sunday we'll look at how Jesus overcame. Uh, how Jesus did not fail in the midst of everything that was coming on him, even though it was a temptation, right? Uh, but we want to just look at these 
Uh, we know the story. Uh, Jesus takes uh, Peter, James, and John to pray. Jesus is praying, pouring out his heart in anguish and sorrow, wrestling with God. And he comes back to find Peter and James and John doing what? Sleeping. Sleeping, right? And, and Jesus said to them, so you could not watch with me one hour? Right? So even here we see Peter, you know, he, he claims to be devoted, he claims to be committed, he claims to be zealous. But when it comes down to even the simple thing of, would you just pray with me? Like, I'm not talking about drawing swords yet or dying. Could you just pray with me? Already, Peter is blowing it, right? And Jesus says these powerful words, watch and pray. And the word watch there could simply be translated, stay awake, right? Stay awake and pray, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, indeed the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? So, so here's the thing. Jesus is, is the shepherd we need. He's our strength. He's our overcomer. He's our, for, he's our forgiveness and grace. But how is it that we press into Jesus? How is it we get more of him? How is it we're sure we're lined up following him? Well, Jesus says, look, it's through a life of prayer. Right? It's through this commitment and diligence to prayer. And Jesus identifies, look, the human spirit and soul does want to do what's right. right? But we are our own worst enemy. Right? Our flesh is weak. It is our flesh that prevents us from taking steps in the right direction. And here's the principle you have to know. It's super important to remember this. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you've memorized or how many times you've read it through. It doesn't matter how spiritually mature you are or how you know, high your position of leadership is in some organization or as a pastor or an elder, whatever. None of that, none of that has any effect on the weakness of our flesh. All right? Now, we can get spiritually stronger, but that spiritual strength never rubs off on the flesh. Until the day you die and we get rid of this broken, weak, sinful flesh, the flesh is weak. Right? And that's why every day we have to get up and say, I'm about to sin. <laughs> like I am this far away from sin because my flesh is still weak. Right? It's not until it dies, till this body dies, this flesh, this old man completely dies and, and we put on a new flesh that we will be able to really completely overcome. Right? Our flesh is weak. Romans 7 puts it this way. Paul talks about wrestling with, it, with this. And there's a lot of debate. Was this before Paul was saved or after he was saved? Here's the thing. It doesn't matter. Because it's true before you're saved and after you're saved. That your flesh is still your greatest enemy. Right? Verse 15 in Romans 7. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Right? And that's true for us today as a redeemed follower of Christ as it was before we, were, before we knew Jesus. Right? Sin still dwells in our flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. Jesus says the same thing. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. 
But praise God, uh, Paul gives us hope. We won't go through all Romans 8. Romans 8 is the good answer. But here's a synopsis of Romans 8. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Praise God, we have help. We have Jesus the shepherd, but on top of that, we have his Spirit poured out in us. And we are called daily to live by the strength and power of the Spirit, not to walk in the weakness of the flesh. Uh, And we appropriate that through this urgency of prayer, right, through prayer. Watch and pray. And and the bottom line is this. Uh, There's an urgency in prayer when we are convinced we are headed to failure. The reason we don't pray very much is because we really don't believe how close we are to absolute, total disaster. And that's why it's so important to start there. That's why it's so important to every day realize, man, in my flesh, I'm in big trouble. And no matter how determined I am, no matter how zealous and committed and desiring I am to walk in holiness, I have this enemy in my flesh that is going to ruin me, right? As Peter knows and as the disciples know. If I don't have Jesus, and if I am not walking in the power of the Spirit. And Jesus says the way we line all that up is through prayer. And we're going to look at this more next week, so I'm not going to go into great detail. But it's, it's really this aligning of our hearts to His. right? And it's really where we practice these things. It is in prayer that we come and we acknowledge our desperate need for Him. Like, and, it's, and I'm not talking about just you know 20 or 30 or an hour in the morning. I'm talking about this constant sense of urgency that I'm in trouble and I'm constantly crying out to God for help. I'm constantly uh, admitting to him and acknowledging how near I am to sin without him. And it's a constant calling on him. And it may be just a, a breath. Lord Jesus, I need you. Lord Jesus, draw near to me. Lord Jesus, may I draw near to you. Right? That is to be the breath, the spiritual breathing of the Christian life. This constant prayer. Paul says, pray without ceasing. This constant dependence on him. This constant surrendering of our stubborn will to his good and perfect will. Constantly seeking Jesus, who is our great shepherd. And and turning to him. The mark of real zeal and commitment is not just our desire to do good. But if you want to really be zealous for God, you want to really show your commitment to God, show it in prayer. Show it in the spirit and pursuit of God in constant prayer. That's where we stand out as people who have true zeal. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.